Hello and welcome to the Who's He video podcast with me, Phil. So, Jodie Whittaker's first season, The Doctor concludes on New Year's Day, and while this left us, most of us hungry for more, the bad news that you all know is that there is no new Doctor Who this year. Nothing. Nada. So what are we going to do to fill the time? Sure, we have loads of Doctor Who podcasts to listen to, and by that I mean our parents show, The Who's He podcast. There's Big Finish, of course, with 20 years' worth of audio stories to catch up on. You have your DVDs and Blu-rays, especially with the recent releases of season 12, 18 and 19 on Blu-ray. There's plenty of old episodes to re-watch, for which you can either love or, or hate all over again. And of course there is the written word. If you've never done so, there are the Target novelizations, and let's not forget the Virgin New Adventures, which filled in the time between series from 1989 to 2005. You see, there is plenty to be getting on with to kill the time until Doctor Who returns to our screens again. But there is something else for you. Doctor Who annuals. Doctor Who annuals have been in circulation since 1965, and I'm fortunate enough to own a few of the classics. So what I thought I'd do is to take a look at how these annuals evolved over the years. Now, before I begin, this is not an exhaustive and comprehensive history of the Doctor Who annual. I'm only going to be looking at the annuals that I own. So if I've missed out your favourites, make your own video. Anyway, let's start at the beginning with the first annual in my collection, and indeed the first Doctor, with the Doctor Who annual 1966, actually released in September 1965. Now, this is not what I would call an annual as we know them today. While featuring then recent screen episodes such as the Zabi, Vols and Sensorites, these stories really are for children of another era. There was no such concept as comic strips for this particular BBC licensed annual. Oh no! This is basically a collection of Doctor Who novelisations with a few illustrations chucked in for good measure. Now, you could argue that this fitted with the more educational angle that the BBC was aiming for with Doctor Who at the time, getting children to read rather than wasting their time on such frippery as comic strips. As I said, the stories here feature monsters that were popular at the time, but one thing is absent, and that is the Doctor is not travelling with any of his companions. No Susan, Ian and Barbara, and no Vicky either. In fact, in one story, he travels with child siblings Amy and Tony Barker. They're messing with the cannon! So I can only imagine there must have been copyright issues with regard to using those characters, but since they didn't appear to have this issue using Sensorites, Vords or Zabi, perhaps they just wanted to make the Doctor the centre of attention. Now, as I said earlier, this book contains illustrations throughout each of the stories, and to be honest, they are of varying quality. While the likeness of William Hartnell is captured very well, and does so throughout the annual, less attention is made when it comes to other characters, such as the Fishmen of Candelinga, who appear to have been drawn by an unskilled drunk cartoonist on an off day. But, as you will see in the next one in my collection, the Doctor Who annual 1973, things hadn't really moved on that much. Again, this is another collection of illustrated novelisations, so I imagine that even in the early 1970s, the BBC was still fearful of British youth being corrupted by bright colours and shapes. But by 1973, the BBC had obviously realised that the Doctor is nothing without his companions, so this one features Joe Grant and the Brigadier, but not really as you know them. While the likeness of John Pertwee is mostly captured well enough, the same cannot be said for Katie Manning and Nicholas Courtney, whose likenesses will vary throughout. I can only surmise that the BBC couldn't obtain their likeness for the illustrations, so it was left to the artist's interpretation. 
Also scattered throughout this annual are a few puzzles, something that is still prevalent in annuals to this day, and they were something that used to keep me entertained during the Christmas holidays. But let's have a closer look at that photo of the puzzle example again. Just what is the Brigadier doing to the Doctor to make him pull that face? I shudder to think, but right now slash fiction writers are going crazy. But now we jump to 1975 and that year's Doctor Who annual. And the inside cover just seems to sum up that period of the 1970s. It's trippy man, really trippy. I have absolutely no idea who the Doctor was with in that particular drawing, but this annual once again features the Doctor, Joe Grant and the Brigadier. And you can definitely see a pattern so far across these annuals as once again the written content far outweighs the comic strip content. While it again mixes in puzzles amongst the Doctor's written and drawn adventures, the focus certainly isn't on maintaining the exact likenesses of the characters. Like the 1973 annual, any resemblance to Katie Manning is cursory, but even the likeness of John Pertwee this time around is a bit haphazard and seems content on making him look a great deal older than he actually was at the time. The comic strip artwork is probably what you'd expect from this period, but again the approach appears to be one of not being entirely sure of what they wanted to achieve as an end product. One comic strip has been coloured, the other one is rendered in a single colour. So really and so far, these Doctor Who annuals have been fairly generic if I'm honest. While these annuals may have been through children of the 1970s, or the early 1970s I should say, I really don't think that children of today would find much to enjoy with its bland and flat artwork and very lengthy written stories. However, things are now going to get a bit more interesting with my first fourth Doctor annual from 1977. Yet again we have the usual mix of puzzles, written stories and comic strips. But this time the artwork starts to take a more natural and realistic look. Here we have artwork of Tom Baker that looks like it's been taken directly off the screen. There is no mistake in who that is. But who is that with him? Well this annual also features Sarah Jane Smith, but it appears they weren't allowed to use Liz Sladen's likeness. But the artwork here not only looks fantastic, but it also takes on a quite surreal aspect as well. There's not appear to be any boundaries to what type of stories they wanted to tell, so the artwork is a lot more imaginative than any TV budget would allow. But in the 1979 annual, they really pull out all the stops with the artwork, which again features a more realistic and surreal tone, but this time is a lot more nightmarish, which I shall come on to in a moment. But first, I have to mention again of not being able to use the likeness of actors. This annual features Leela travelling with the Doctor, but the character who is drawn here looks nothing like Louise Jameson. However, as seen in this example, I feel that the character has been sexualised to a greater degree simply by disposing of the animal skin outfit and putting her in more contemporary clothing. Now, this is something they certainly would not be done now in any Doctor Who annuals. Again, the likeness of Tom Baker is directly from the TV, even so far as drawing the Doctor as seen in The Deadly Assassin. But once again the artwork is full of imagination and seems to me to be too good to be used in a short comic strip aimed at kids. Now let me come back to my comment of the artwork in this annual having a nightmarish tone. Some of the artwork is downright odd. I mean, take a look at this one. 
This drawing scared me as a child, but also fascinated me at the same time. The canine-like mouth doesn't seem at odds with the rest of his face. The way it's drawn looks, well, natural. And this drawing is just pure nightmare fuel. But one thing that reoccurs in this annual is lifting imagery from films, in particular sci-fi films. This drawing here is lifted directly from Village of the Damned, while this drawing is taken directly from The Shape of Things to Come. The artist we have to thank for these wonderful drawings is British artist Paul Crompton, who illustrated Doctor Who annuals from 1976 to 1980. Now, while I've waxed lyrical about Paul Crompton's artistry, he apparently, in the 1976 annual, drew Harry Sullivan differently on two occasions, and in no way did either rendition resemble Ian Marta. But you know what? I don't care. While the Doctor Who annuals were fairly formulaic in their structure, the period in which I read Doctor Who annuals as a child was a very different and exciting time. The 1970s were, to my mind, becoming more adventurous within the British comic book industry, as demonstrating some of the startling imagery I've been briefly talking about here. And let's not forget, in 1977, the mighty 2000 AD was launched, which changed the face of British comics forever. So, in this barren year of Who, dust off those old annuals and give them a reappraisal. In these anodyne times, looking at these old annuals again might just give you a little shot of Doctor Who adrenaline, which I think we could all certainly do with. See you next time.